You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Welcome. (laughs) Uh, Hey, welcome back to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. I'm here with, uh, as usual... Slash always, my good friend Ben Sternke. Hello. And also a guest today on the podcast, a friend of ours. She is a senior pastor of First Church of the Nazarene, Pasadena, also called Nazpaz? Pasnaz. Tara Beth Leach. Um, Tara Beth, we met several years ago at yeah. one of the smallest church conferences that has ever been put on. Is that right? Yes. Do you remember yes. this? I, I remember it well. Yeah, actually, that's where Emboldened all started. Oh, okay. Tell me tell me more about that. I, at that little conference? At what, that little conference, what, IVP wait, was conference? there. Okay. This is between Tara Beth and I. I know. Is this, is this, can our listeners not know? Is it a secret <laughs> conference? Is that why it was so small? It was, well, it was very tiny. Uh, okay. It was called a Missional Learning Commons. It was in mm-hmm. Westmont, Illinois, which oh, yeah. our friend David calls the missional mecca of the universe. It used to be Fort Wayne, back when I was hosting it, when I lived there. That's when he was trying to flatter you. <laughs> but now he, no, lives, he's beyond in, that now. he lives in Westmont, and he's yeah. really excited about it. So we, yes, we did this conference. Tell me how, so you wrote this book, Emboldened, which is about yes. uh, empowering women in ministry, but how did it start at that little conference? Well, at the time, I had been blogging a lot about this. Um, it was... Um, a little bit of a fire in my heart. And um, so I had written several blog posts and InterVarsity Press was there at the conference because Mandy Smith was launching her book, The Vulnerable Pastor. Yes. Yeah. And Mandy was a new friend of mine and um, it's amazing what she did, but um, she she barely knew me, um, but yet she, she offered up um, an opportunity for me to connect with Al from InterVarsity Press. 
And so we were sitting all together at lunch and she said, Al, Tara Beth has a book idea. You two should talk. And then she got <laughs> up and walked away. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's kind of like in, you know, high school when you're trying to hook two people up, you right, know, right. and she just did one of those and we got to talking and Al was really excited about it and said, sounds great. Write up a proposal and send it over. That's so that awesome. is where it all began. That conference. Amazing. Really I knew cool. you win. Uh, Mandy's mm-hmm. also going to be on the podcast in a few weeks. Yeah. She's a dear friend as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I love her so much. Yeah, she's great. Uh, she's great. And I had no idea that she did that. Um, yeah. Super yeah, cool. That's really cool. So uh, we want to have a conversation today, uh, Tara Beth. You are uh, a senior pastor. You've been senior pastor for two years now. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, two years at a, a congregation, thirty or 40,000 people. Is that how many? <laughs> Close. It's 120,000. <laughs> okay. Amazing. <laughs> Nobody only, knows about it. You're only off by a factor of four. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah so you're a senior pastor of this church, and I just want to know, uh, is being a woman senior pastor as easy as everybody assumes it is? <laughs> no. In fact... <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, (laughs) Um, you know, it's hard. It's, it's, it's amazing that I get a seat at the table. Yeah. Um, But also at the same time, um, getting at this, a seat at the table is just the first step um, to the process. Um, It's, I, I am grateful every day. Um, I have a pinch myself moment constantly and I have a, oh my gosh, this is so hard moment constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, arriving to the table is just the first step. Right. Then you have to actually reckon with the self that's at the table. You talk in your book about this yeah. imposter that we have inside of us. Uh, and you speak you speak uh, from sort of your experience as a woman. But I, as I read that part in your book, I could totally relate as a man. Like, I think the imposter, nothing has seized you except for what is common to humanity, right? Um, I, I've, I've been a, a pastor of local church for 15 years and uh, didn't envision this to be a role that I would have. But I've, I've been in groups where I've discipled groups of women, uh, like on staffs or other places. And I, I come upon this, like, we call them kairos moments, these this things that stop me up short, and that is uh, a lot of women that I've talked to. I even got an email uh, last month from um, a friend of ours at another church. Mm-hmm. Uh, women have a really hard time with the word leader, um, and and the, what I hear is um, you can't use that word with me because I'm not a leader. Have you have right. you run into that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And I think it has everything to do with imposter syndrome and just the social constructs uh, that the evangelical church has created. Mm. Um, And even just Christian culture has created. We've created these constructs where um, it's it's a manly thing um, to be a leader. And not only that, um, because, and we talked about this before we were recording, but we talked about this anemic imagination uh, that the church has. And so because of that anemic imagination, um, it's not just men that are, I guess, diseased, if you will, with that anemic imagination, but it's women. Yeah. We have difficulty imagining ourselves in roles that we've never seen other women in. Um, or we've seen very few women in. And so if we've never seen another female leader and we only see male leaders, well, then I can't be a leader because I've never seen that before. Yeah. So it's almost like it doesn't even matter if theologically you might be on the page that, okay, women can be, you know, do this. 
But there's a lack of, like you said, this anemic imagination that's directly related to whether or not I've seen this lived out in, in an embodied way in front of me. That it be, and if I haven't seen it, then I, I can't really be it. That, that, that's, that's the feeling. Absolutely. I mean, there's that, that you know, phrase that uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Right. Um, I think in the same way, I mean, culture eats imagination. Um, it even eats theology for breakfast. Yes. Um, culture is a powerful force. And so we can have a theology, but ultimately, at the end of the day, culture is is powerful. Yes. Yeah, I've I've actually heard that exact phrase you said, Tara Beth, um, when I've had sort of my hand on my back, and I'm tr- my hand on someone's back saying, hey, you can do this. I believe in you. Let's go for this. And they say, Matt, I appreciate everything you've done for me, but I can only get so much from you. This is for women because I can't see myself in you. Right. This need, yeah. this need, yeah. to, this need to see yourself. Could you talk a little bit about who, like who's been that leader for you? And, and what did you see that allowed you to come into your calling and vocation as you, as you are now? Yeah, so my story um, is probably not the norm um, because when it comes to pastoring, in my early days, I didn't have any models. In fact, the first woman that I ever heard preach was Beth Moore. And so she did begin to expand my imagination in really beautiful ways. And then after that, I would attend women's conferences and I would hear women uh, Bible teachers Um, And they were powerful. They were anointed, gifted teachers. Um, The the only difference was, is they were teachers just to women. And so I early, early on, I didn't have um, any imagination whatsoever of a woman in ministry pastoring men as well as women. Uh, The first female senior pastor I ever met was Mandy Smith. And that was, hmm. I don't know, six years ago at the Missio Alliance conference, and she was uh, hosting the conference, emceeing it. And I, every time she got up to speak, I just wept. Yeah. I, I just wept um, because seeing her lead was just ripping my mind and my imagination open in really beautiful and wholly chaotic ways. Yes. Um, because she was she was not just an MC um, up there, but she was shepherding us mm. throughout the conference. Yeah. She was tending to the spirit as she was tending um, just to um, the room and the way that the spirit was moving all of us. And um, it was really incredible for me to see someone shepherd people um, in the ways that Mandy Smith does. Wow. Yeah, so it takes it from this conceptualization of, oh, I suppose I could be a leader, to you're actually participating in a space where someone's leading you, even even like Mandy Smith emceeing or Beth Moore teaching, and you, you get caught up in that a little bit. It like awakens or gives you permission or opens you up to a new possibility yes. you didn't see before. Yes, mm. and Beth Moore did that for me. Um, and it, you know, it took me on a little bit of a confusing journey for me for a while, um, so I knew that I was called into ministry at 16 years old. And I talk about this story in Emboldened, so we don't need to go back to that. But I knew it that I was called. I just didn't know what it looked like. Yeah. And so really, if I were to sum up my journey um, in one sentence, it would be, I just figured out or learned uh, through the empowering presence of the Spirit how to put one foot in front of the other. Yes. 
Um, and oftentimes putting one foot in the front of the other was a blind step of faith um, because I didn't have any role models. But at the same time, people like Beth Moore, every time I heard her speak or preach, she was, she was awakening stuff within me. Um, and so there were seasons where I thought, okay, I'm going to be a Bible teacher someday, just like Beth Moore, and I'm going to do women's conferences, and I'm going to do retreats, because um, I knew that God had called me to teach and preach. Yeah. Um, and with Beth Moore being my, I guess, only model at the time, um, that's what I began to imagine yeah. for myself. Yeah. This uh, this is important, Tara Beth. One of the things we talk about on our podcast a lot is that God cares about it more than we do. And, and what I hear in your story is that you felt called to this vocation, and rather than God saying, okay, Terabeth, I've given you this calling, now go figure it out and make it happen, uh, this one step in front of the other is just this momentary, particular, granular obedience, trusting yes. that you're being led forward into something you can't quite see, but if you take that next step, eventually you get over the lake of Genesaret, right? But you have to take right. that first step. And just right. focus on the obedience of that step. And it sounds like that was that was how you, uh, the Lord awakened your imagination. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there were so many times where, of course, like we all do, uh, we tell God what the next 20 steps are going to look like. <laughs> right. um, yeah, Ben does it a and lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do too. You know, and for me, a planner and especially a dreamer, mm. um, I would dream out those 20 steps. Um, but the way that the the holy chaos of the spirit works is that uh, those those next faithful steps aren't always what we imagine them to be. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah, you. I want to return to something you talked about earlier about just the constructs of leadership we have and how in our Western sort of evangelical imaginations those are typically uh, culturally male and how those inhibit or sometimes. Uh, eliminate just the uh, the possibility that a woman can lead, not just women, but a woman can lead uh, a group of men and women together. What were some of those, uh, the constructs in particular that you've had to maybe challenge or overcome or that you've seen are uh, way more culturally defined than perhaps biblically or faithfully uh, defined? Yeah. Um, so, f- I mean, recently coming to Paznaz, uh, one of the um, most common pushbacks that I heard from people was that I was a mom of small children. Um, when I came to Paznaz, I had a preschooler at the time and a kindergartner at the time. Uh, they're now kindergarten and second grade. Um, but people just could not even fathom bringing in a mother with small children at home Um, And a lot of it was just the fear. Could she do it? Could she um, handle this, this huge job um, while caring for small children at home? And the congregation just never, and when I say the congregation, I mean, those that were pushing back, um, just never dawned on them that I had a a husband (laughs) um, that was very involved. And it never dawned on them that the uh, former senior pastor and senior pastors in the past um, had children, right. um, the age of my children. Right. And so those are just one of the constructs. I mean, and of course, there there are a lot of differences um, in the ways that mothering and fathering is sometimes lived out. Sure. Um, but but one of the joys that Jeff and I have have had being at Paznaz is giving this this imagination for 
uh, what an egalitarian marriage looks like and what it means to parent together and really kind of flip some of these um, constructed gender roles upside down. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I would say that was, that's one of the ones that really stand out the most um, and most recently as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you didn't say this, but what also occurs to me is if, if people question whether a mother with a kindergartner and a second grader could actually lead a church, like people don't understand how badass moms are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. like it takes a lot of work to, uh, I mean, I just think about the work my wife does and uh, not just the administrative work, but actually the relational shepherding skill. I mean, if, you, if you're a good mom, chances are you have a lot of the skills you need to be a good pastor. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, and um, Cheryl um, um, Sandberg um, and Lean In, I mm-hmm. think it was her that talked about this. I'm pretty sure she she talked about um, the maternal style of leadership. Yeah. Um, and how um, that is that is lived out in a work or leadership setting. You know, a mother has the, um, I guess capacity much like a father but but to nurture a people and then push them when they need to be pushed um and and she describes it really beautifully i'm not even doing it justice but that was something that really resonated with me Mm. and something i really embrace as a leader um a very maternal style of leadership yeah yeah you know speaking as a guy i remember being in seminary I'm speaking as a guy. I just want everybody to know that. Right, right now, I've <laughs> got my guy hat on. I, sure. I'll put my guy hat on. Put my yeah. man hat on. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I took this leadership test in seminary, and I uh, scored really low on sort of the dominant constructs that a man needs to lead as as pertains by this, you know, fairly uh, standard evangelical seminary. And I remember my teacher sitting down with me and telling me, uh, hey, you'll probably never be a senior pastor because you don't have, you know, basically what he's saying is you're not a type A like hard charging, you know, high D on the on the disc evaluator. You're not an Enneagram 8. You're not going to take over the world. So we prob- you probably should just be a youth pastor, you know, or a missions <laughs> pastor or something. And I honestly, I remember thinking, like, I internalized that as I'm deficient based upon these constructs of this masculine-shaped sort of Western leadership. Hmm. Uh, and yeah. so it doesn't just do bad work in women's lives. I, I think uh, it also, just speaking autobiographically, has done bad work in mine. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, toxic masculinity is a thing. Yeah. Um, right. And, uh, you know, I, I wrote a piece in Christianity Today two years ago um, in an article called I Don't Fit the Senior Pastor Mold. I remember that. And I talked about this real maternal style of leadership. And I heard from more men mm. than I did women right. on that one. Really? Like positively. Uh, Yes. Like, thank you for saying yes, this. saying yeah. I don't fit that mold either. Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing this. Um, men that have nurturing styles of leadership that aren't top down or dominant or the men that doesn't just walk into a room and take up a lot of space. Yeah. Um, and we, we've got to begin for men and women ex- expanding that imag- imagination for the church of what this can look like. Mm. Um, we've, we have just, uh, in a way that has been harmful, boxed yeah. um, in what we consider to be a leader. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this, uh, you know, women entering into leadership provides us then, as the church, I think, with this uh, opportunity. You know, this this uh, it's a crucible for sure, but an opportunity to say, hey, instead of just assuming, okay, 
uh, theologically, this is okay, and so uh, come on in. But but basically, underneath that assumption is, come on in the way that we've always done this. Like, these new instincts uh, coming to the forefront um, strike me as a gift to the church to be able to evaluate, reevaluate, like, wait, why, why have we been doing it this way in the first place? Right. Like, what's going on here? Right. How can we discern, you know, the work of the Spirit in our midst um, in terms of what Jesus is calling us to? Yeah, and I think I think we've got to do a better job um, in the church of naming what those cultural constructs are. Mm. Um, and this is a huge and important conversation, even with race. Um, we we just um, have a really hard time um, parsing out or sorting out what's culture and what's not. Yeah, and what's yeah. what's been toxic and harmful to the bride of Christ and what's not. Yes, I agree, Tara Beth. I think uh, I noticed for me that um, I remember that I remember the first time I could see what I saw with I've, the first time that I was able to look at my construct rather than just look through or with my construct. If that makes sense. Yes. Yes. And absolutely. It, it made sense, and it almost felt like I remember being like an eight-year-old, where I remember having an empathetic connection with how somebody else was feeling, and I remember it being like this moment of like, I'm inhabiting somebody else's experience. Like I'm actually, I, I you know, I, I'm I'm gr- I'm on the Fowler stages of of growth or whatever the <laughs> you know the Maslow stages of growth. It was almost like that for me. It was almost mm. like, oh, I think I get this. Uh, and and so many people I meet, I mean, this is my life on Twitter. Really, is like I, I want to talk about what we see with, and people just want to argue the details, right? So with yeah. so with race, I want to say, hey, like w- there may be some white privilege here, and somebody's like, well, I I wasn't born uh, with a million dollars, or I have a black friend, so I'm not racist, and I'm like, that's not right. what we're talking about here. <laughs> like that's not what right. I want to talk about here. Mm. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I, yeah the, one other thing I want to chat about a little bit is. Um, friendships um i i'm struck by how just because of uh you know i'd love to get your thoughts on this terabeth i'm struck with how most christians have better male female friendships outside of the church than inside of the church absolutely in fact this is something um that has been on my heart Mm. quite a bit um and I think that we have taken some major steps backwards. Um, I am, first of all, I'm so thankful for the Me Too movement. So, so important. Um, I'm, I am at the same time um, devastated by the Me Too movement um, because of the way it has exposed the Bride of Christ. Um, and, but also at the same time, thank God it's exposing right. um, some of the abuse of power that we have been seeing. Yes. And one of the ones that I've had the hardest time with is the Bill Hybels situation. Um, because Bill Hybels was one of the few megachurch um, egalitarian leaders. Okay. And this is um, this, this, um, this conversation about men and women interacting with one another within the church is so important. And one that I think that we were making some really good, um, gaining some really good ground on, um, and talking about, you know, this, this Billy Graham rule, for example, talking about healthy boundaries, unhealthy boundaries, talking about the way some of our really strict boundaries had, have sidelined women. So, um, and I felt like we were, we were gaining good ground. And then the Bill Hybels thing situation happens. And then other moral failures happened. And 
the knee-jerk response with the church is, well, if he would have just followed the Billy oh, Graham rule, right. this wouldn't have happened. Even the elders at Willow Creek, you know, talked about this. Um, Bill, uh, Bill Hybels talked about this. And um, which, which, by the way, is really just mind-blowing to me because I happen to be friends with, with people who have worked there. Yeah. And the Billy Graham rule, I talked about this with Willow Creek people several years ago. The Billy Graham rule was never a thing at Willow. Um, I, I knew about Bill Hybels meeting staff in restaurants. Um, so for them to bring up the Billy Graham rule now, it just hurts my head. Um, but, (laughs) but anyway, you know, so the knee jerk response is, well, if we would have just had better boundaries, if we would have just followed the Billy Graham rule, but, but boundaries is not the issue. Um, the issue is a lack of accountability, um, formation. And of course it's a heart issue. Um, yeah. Of course, I'm all for boundaries. I, I would not hang out with a man in my hotel room. What about his um, private yacht? Would you do that? Yeah. No, I wouldn't do that no. either. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, boundaries you know, are good, but yeah, yeah. Boundaries are really good, and it's good that we talk about it, but not in such a way where we just knee-jerk respond, um, because now I am nervous um, about the way the church is responding to the Me Too movement. Um, Whereas instead, Hmm. I would rather see us press in and say, let's reclaim this imagination of men and women co-laboring together. Let's let's talk about what that kingdom imagination is first. And then let's back into it. Hmm. Um, Yes, let's talk about boundaries, but we need to reclaim an imagination. We need to reclaim that vision of men and women instead of just responding and say, oh, we need um, we need stricter boundaries. Right. and and so so my heart is just hurting, and I I I still experience this today. I I hear it all the time. Um, I I just reached out to a new pastor in town down the road, and I asked him if he would like to do coffee, and um, he he wasn't comfortable meeting with me uh, for coffee. Yeah. Um, another pastor, you know, and it's just like things like that where I just kind of want to hit my head against the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, where we are just responding in fear and what that communicates to me um, and what that communicates to women is that you, I fear you more than I love you and care about oh, you yeah. as my sister in Christ. Wow. And I fear your body and I fear, yeah. well, you know, what this could communicate. Um, yes. And so, so my hope for the church is that we would press in and reclaim mm. that vision first. To move forward into something like a positive vision of something that we're going for rather than retreating into stricter boundaries to avoid a bad thing that we don't want to happen again. That's right. Yes. Yes. It's almost yeah. like, it's almost like uh, managing badness won't lead us into love. <laughs> right. I mean, it's almost like go f- that. Go figure. Yeah. Or, or like not sinning won't get us closer to the kingdom. Right. <laughs> right? right. Uh, yes. Mm. Terabeth, what you said um, that the, just just sort of of the avoidance of women, especially as with, with men who have any kind of uh, uh, responsibility or authority in a church, their avoidance of women sends messages to women about their bodies, about uh, their, who they are uh, in relationship with the body of Christ. And and uh, what you said was so powerful, and I don't want to try to quote it because I'll misquote it, but I think it, I think that in large part, it took me a long time to realize that um, even though I 
even though I wanted to see women empowered in ministry, my reticence of having healthy friendships with them in ministry actually worked against them ever having a place, like you said uh, at the beginning, at the table. Right, right, absolutely. And I, that was even early on coming to Paznaz. We had families leave the church early on, and one of the things that I heard was women, um, even women, could not handle their husbands watching a female pastor preach. Um, and it is this hypersexualization that we have done to the women's body that there's even a fear of a man watching a woman preach that he could not. And here's a toxic masculinity. Right. I think much more highly of my brothers than, than thinking that they can't control themselves while a woman is preaching. Um, right. You know, and so, so it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking. And this is, this is a really important conversation that the church has got to learn how to have. Yes. Selah. Let's just moment of silence for that. That's so important. Ugh. Well, Terabeth, um, I wonder if you have navigating sort of your own imposter syndrome inside, navigating a lack of imagination for what it looks like to lead, not not as a man would lead, not pretending to be a man, not not hiding as a woman, but stepping fully into who God's called you to be. Um, and then, and then pressing, you know, you have to continually gracefully press through like the sexism that's inherent with your, with your peers from other pastors and from congregants. What, uh, we have a lot of uh, women that we train and that we, um, that are part of our community. What would you, like, what are you learning that you can, you can pass on to them as they learn to step in to the places you are? Yeah, I think um, one of the biggest things I'm learning is that um, we've got to figure out a way to have these conversations and to still continue to lead and pastor um, in a way that isn't leading from bitterness, anger, and hurt. Um, And instead, leading in a way that is casting this vision, even when there's pushback, even when um, there's hurt. Uh, is there a way for us to lead in a way that is winsome? Yeah. Um, and of course, it sucks. Of course, it hurts. Of course, there are times where I just want to throw stuff against the wall. Um, but at the same time, I am at Paznez, for example, um, and, and same with women who are pastoring. We are pastoring because we want to pastor. We are leading because we so believe in the mission of God. Um, we believe of what it means to participate in this mission. This is why we're doing it. We are not doing it because we want to prove a point, because women want to take over the world or take over the church. It's another thing I hear a lot. Mm. Um, but that's that's not why we're doing it. So if that's not why we're doing it, then my encouragement is for us as women and men to um, to lead in such a way that is that is giving our folks that imagination rather than leading from a place of anger, bitterness, and hurt. Which, oh, believe me, <laughs> I know how hard that is. I I know. Oh my goodness, I know. Um, but I have seen us gain more ground um, when we 
don't lead from that place of bitterness and anger. And we instead learn how to put one foot in front of the other, take that next faithful step and lead in such a way that gives our people that vision and lead winsomely. Yeah. That's a good word. Yeah. That's a good word. Um, well, I appreciate your leadership, Terabeth. Your book, Emboldened, uh, was administered to me. I learned from it a great deal. Uh, if you're out there, and I, I recommend it to men. Mm. Um, we, were at a, we were at a conference in Chicago a couple weeks ago, and we led this little group, uh, Ben and I did together, and this woman uh, came up to us, and she said, uh, hey, I just so appreciate the way you guys led that group. I've been in, I've been in groups before, mixed gender groups, where I feel shut down mm-hmm. and silenced. And she said, uh, what typically happens is men center themselves in those groups. And she said, I felt like you guys did a good job of holding this space open. And it occurred to me right then and there, like, I don't need to hear from dudes that I'm a good leader. I need to hear from women that I'm a good leader. <laughs> like mm. that, that mm. will make my day. That mm-hmm. will make my day. And we need more spaces like that. And we need more uh, cultures like that. And I just, I so appreciate your heart. I appreciate the way you've pastored me uh, and the way you're pra- pastoring our community on this podcast. So thanks for joining yep. us. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me and creating space to have these conversations. Yep. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you found it helpful, please let us know by leaving a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you review podcasts. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com to ask a question or suggest a topic for a future episode. And join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles that we found interesting or helpful in our work as local pastors and practitioners of discipleship and mission. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.